Welcome to Training Babble. I'm your host, Dave Shell, and on this episode, I follow up with Kevin Goldberg. Last time we checked in with him, he had just finished the Bigfoot 200 ultramarathon. He was about to embark on the Tahoe 200, and then we said we we're going to follow up after the Moab, I believe it's called 200, even though it's about 245 miles. Um, I had the opportunity, as we mentioned on the previous podcast, that I was going to pace Kevin, and I have to say that it was not anything like I expected. Um, I was pretty underprepared, even though they warned me how cold it was going to be, um, and I was just kind of blown away by the whole experience. I showed up um, when Kevin first asked me to pace. He told me it would be Saturday morning, and so in my head, I was planning on this awesome like 8 a.m. run through the desert and um, watching the sunrise. But I found out uh, about a day or two before that I would actually start around one in the morning. And so that involved me driving straight to Moab after work. Um, once we got there, it was about an hour and a half to the trailhead um, for the aid station where we were going to meet him. So it was straight into Moab, straight to the trailhead, and then um, essentially waiting. And so Kevin ended up showing up around uh, 2 a.m. or so. And then we headed out around 2.30. I had brought my coldest running gear. Um, I had prepared myself. I put on what I thought was what I would wear for sub-freezing temps. Um, but I wasn't prepared. And so, thankfully, Kevin had a puffy jacket that I could borrow and an extra pair of pants. Had it not been for that, um, I would have been absolutely screwed. So, aside from that, um, I was just blown away by the whole experience in that there's such a sense of community and seeing what these pacers and the crew do for these runners. I mean, it's a huge sacrifice, and I think a lot of times without having those people out there, they probably wouldn't be able to do it. But I watched Kevin's wife, Melanie. Um, he would come in, she would start repacking his uh, water, repacking his food, making sure his socks were dry, helping him, helping him clean his feet, and just doing mental checks. The other thing that really blew me away is that Kevin and I think he had like five or six pacers out there. And these were people that he's met over the course of doing these ultra marathons that wanted to be a part of this and came out to Moab um, for whether it's a day or four days to help him and see him through this. Multiple people um, helped pace him for several legs. And so my big takeaways from this was that it's just, it really is a group effort. And to see all these people come together to help one person accomplish a goal was um, pretty amazing. So with that said, I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Kevin as we catch up and hear what it was like racing 244 miles. All right, I am here with Kevin Goldberg. And the last time we talked to Kevin, he had just finished up the uh, Tahoe. What is it? The Tahoe 200? Um, it was after the Bigfoot 200. It was just before Tahoe 200. So I was only one third of the way through. That's right. Yeah. So the last time we talked to you, you just finished Bigfoot. We're about two weeks out, I think, from Tahoe. And so tell us before we start talking about Moab, what happened at Tahoe? Did it go as expected? Um, yeah. Fill us in. Yeah. Um, it actually went better than expected. Um, you know, it was, I was nervous about doing another 200 that quickly, but um, it um, it went really well. I felt strong the whole time, and I uh, did it in 68 hours, which was a almost a 12-hour PR for me, granted on a different course, but still. Um, and I came in 14th overall out of 
uh, well, well over 200 people. Yeah, and I have to say, and I, I'm a little ashamed to say this, but I was super impressed um, <laughs> when we were when we were recording the original podcast, and you were talking about being at the pointy end. I internally kind of rolled my eyes a bit, <laughs> <And> so <laughs> when I when I was tracking you during Tahoe, I was super impressed um, for you to finish 14th overall, and I probably should have started with this, but you <laughs> just finished Moab yesterday. Um, I think around probably four o'clock or so. Um, just before 3 p.m. Yeah. Okay. And so first off, thank you for doing this because I'm sure you'd much rather be doing other things like sleeping or driving home. So I really <laughs> appreciate you taking the time to do this. Absolutely. Um, but how are you feeling a day out from 240 miles? Yeah. Um, 244 miles, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, feeling, you know, I mean, these, these things are so strange and you, there's so many different feelings. You know, part of it is just like almost ecstasy from, for having done it and being done. Um, a level of exhaustion that I can't even explain and have only experienced after these events. Um, same goes for a level of hunger that I can't explain. Just constantly <laughs> eating. If you, you finish eating and you just go, well, what are we eating next? And it's just, it's a constant stream of eating. It's, it's pretty amazing actually. Um, because you get to keep eating anything you want, but you don't get that full feeling, so you just go on forever. Um, and then the body is—it's uh, in rough shape. I, I certainly left it all out there this past weekend, but I think it's all gonna—it's all gonna heal eventually. So that's all that matters. Well, and I had talked to you somehow. I don't know how you found a cell phone, but somehow you managed to call <laughs> me at about six a.m. yesterday morning. And at the time, you told me you felt terrible and that yeah. everything hurt, and you still had a good 12 hours ahead of you, I think at that point, right? Or uh, at least yeah. nine hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like from that standpoint, I know and having experienced just a tiny piece of it with you, I experienced the first night and it was way colder than I expected. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely miserable. <laughs> and so like for me, one, I don't know how you, come out of a night like that, warm up, change your socks and go back out. But as I was thinking about you having to do two more nights of that. So how were the next two nights? So typically, um, in these things, I mean, the first night's generally pretty easy, um, compared to the other two. The second night is always the, the hardest in my opinion and experience. Um, you know, you, you know, you have more of them, but you've already been out there for a really long time. Um, so the second night was also just brutally cold. Um, I think I, I spent almost the entire second night with two heavy, puffy jackets on. Um, I don't think I've ever worn a puffy on top of a puffy. Um, <laughs> and, and, I was, and I was still freezing cold. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's amazing when the sun comes up, it really just breathes new life in. So you're kind of just waiting for that sunrise. Um, because you know it's gonna it's gonna make things better even though, even if things feel really bad, and the third night was was pretty awful too, but more because of how my body was feeling and less about the night itself. It was it was warmer and you know at that point you're getting closer and you can sort of see the finish line, not quite, but um, so the third night was a, a little better than the second, but that second one was a, a pretty low one. Yeah, I could imagine, and. I, I, 
guess for me, like, as we mentioned on the first podcast, I had never had any experience pacing anybody before, so I had no idea what to expect. But one thing that really stood out to me is being able to experience firsthand how much that crew does for you. And just, I mean, you had a whole host of um, friends that had come to pace you um, over varying distances and things like that. And I have to imagine that that plays a huge part in getting you to the finish line on at an event like this. Oh, it's, it's huge. Um, I mean, I'm pretty well internally motivated. So getting to the finish is, is something I'm always going to be able to do. And I've done these things solo, but I, you know, they, I think they help you go so much faster. They help you be so much more efficient. They make the process so much more meaningful and enjoyable. Um, because it becomes a shared experience and a shared victory. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Pacers and Crew just because it, it adds so much to the experience, in my opinion. Um, they help. They do so much. They take away so many of the things that you would normally have to do on your own. Um, and then to, on top of that, it's just fun. You're spending time with people you like. Um, and, it, you know, it, like I said, just making making memories out there, I guess. Yeah, that, that's one thing I found pretty remarkable, too, is that there's definitely a sense of community. And, I mean, it's like each time you're at an aid station, it's like, a campsite and people are, you know, hanging out and telling war stories and eating really crappy food. But <laughs> I, I have to imagine that's part of what gets you. I don't know. Like I think about myself, I don't know if I'd be able to go back out after having finished 20 miles and warming up, but I imagine you guys push each other on. Yeah. Yeah. It is really hard to, once you get, you know, comfortable and cozy and warm and dry, it's very hard to to switch back into that other gear and, and get back on the road. Um, but you know, the, even, even when you, that's what the crew and patients are for. And, and even when you don't have those, the, the race volunteers and, and, uh, you know, the race crew is, is so good at that too. And, and, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, they make it happen. It's not always easy, but it gets done. And that is a, a really hard part of it. So it's all part of that mental training beforehand, I guess. And so, you know, you bring that up. Do, do you do any dedicated sort of mental training? Um, I mean, I think I just have more, it's more of an outlook thing. Like it's just part of, I'm, I'm calm, always thinking about it. If I'm thinking about the race, it's, I'm thinking about how hard it's going to be. It's, it's about wrapping your head around what the experience is going to bring so that, that, cause you know, you don't, you know, there's going to be surprises, but you can minimize, you know, the surprises and, and make them genuine surprises and not things like, you know, of course, um, Melanie, my wife always makes fun of me because I, I get out there and I complain about like things hurting and like, it's like <laughs> no, no shit. Like, you know, you're running 240 miles. Yeah. It's really not a surprise that that hurts. Um, so I think, yeah, you know, just kind of in your day to day life, just realizing what you're getting yourself into and, and, and wrapping your head around it is a, is a big part of finding success out there. And, and so we're going to come back to that because I want to explore that a little bit more. Um, but before we do, I you did a, your first 200-miler last year. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so the, this year you did three of them and kind of three plus. And I guess coming into this last one, I feel like you had a lot of variables, not necessarily working against you, but there were unknowns. Um, so the first one is it was 40 miles or 45 miles longer. Then you've gone. Mm -hmm. The second was the temperature um, overnight. Mm -hmm. And the second, or the third rather, was you came into it with 
two other 200 miles of your <laughs> legs that weren't very far apart. Yep. And so how different, like, what was the experience um, going into this one? Did you, did you feel that, uh, like that fatigue as you started or did that take time to build or um, sure. was it right there at the start? Sure. Um, so yeah, I'll go in, in reverse because um, that that's the one that definitely affected me the most is that having those two 200 milers already under my belt. Um, I felt ready at the start, foolishly. Um, body felt good. Um, I was I was surprised at how much of Bigfoot, you know, fatigue was not in my Tahoe race. You know, it really didn't seem to affect me. Um, so I made the assumption that you know I'm a super you know superhero and I just go through these things and <laughs> I don't build up any fatigue. Um, and that's not the case. I, I felt them both a lot at Moab. Um, you know, it very much felt like I was arriving at the start line, you know, broken and, and, and beaten down. And, it, you know, it didn't take much. By mile 15, I, I knew it was going to be a harder race than, than the other ones. Um, so that was, a, that was a fun realization to, to come to. <laughs> and then how about the other uh, two? Um, and, yeah, they, they lived up to the expectation. I mean, you know, the other ones do get cold and, you know, your body loses its ability to regulate really well. But, you know, when I think cold, I think, you know, high 30s, you know, maybe low 40s. And um, Moab gets down into the teens typically during this race. And it's a, it's a whole other ball game. It's really hard to maintain temperatures when you're, you know, moving quick but not really running hard. Um and just, you know, keeping your extremities and everything warm. And you still have to, you still have to take care of yourself through the night. You still have to, you know, eat, drink, um, you know, and do everything that you have to do to keep yourself moving. And, and the cold just makes that so much harder. And another thing with that is um, normally I take naps um, through the night on the trail. Five five minutes is all I need. And it, it, you know, makes me a new man. You can't do that at Moab. It's too cold. If you stop, you're, you know, you're in trouble. Um, so I, so I had to change up my sleep strategy because I couldn't nap through the night. And so how much did you end up sleeping total? I think I slept about maybe a little over an hour total. So different, different times at aid stations. (laughs) Oh, that's crazy. That is crazy. Um, so you talked about the cold, you talked about the fatigue, um, and, and then, then the extra, those, yeah. yeah, the extra mileage. I mean, that was certainly intimidating from the start. And I thought about it a lot. You know, everyone downplays Moab cause it has less elevation gain. I actually think it's a much harder course because you essentially have a relatively flat hundred before a mountainous hundred. Um, so you run a, a relatively still not flat, but you know, flatter hundred, which destroys your body because it's the very repetitive lots of the same motions you know lots of you know think like your common overuse injuries and then they throw a mountainous hundred at you to do after that um so there's just far less variation in the first half of that race so your your muscles are, are you know get jacked up a lot easier um and then you know you get to 100 miles and you have 140 to go you get to 100 and 20 and you have 120 to go the, it messes with your head the whole you know the whole numbers game that you play is different because normally when i get to mile 170 i'm i'm seeing the finish line i'm there in this race you get to mile 170 and you know you might have you could have 24 hours to go you know it's another really long distance right now i paced you i think from mile 70 um or 75 ish but prior to that between 50 and 70 or 50 and 75, 
you had set down your headlamp and your food on a rock and um, kind of left them sitting there. So how did that impact your race? How did you deal with that? And then did it have an impact later in the race? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, talk about, you know, carrying fatigue into a race. Um, apparently it, you know, cl- uh, clouds your mental game too. Um, so it actually happened at miles around mile 30, 35. Um, oh, at, at mile 30, there's an aid station and then you have a 25 mile stretch without aid. It's the longest stretch through any of these races. Um, because Moab is very dry, about five miles into that 25-mile unsupported stretch, there's an unmanned aid station, just, uh, just water station, no no aid. Um, I think that's where it happened. I don't typically use a bladder for these races. I typically filter and use bottles. This time I had to use a bladder because they don't have, you know, there's no water on the course. It's the desert. Um, so I believe I had to remove the food and the headlamp from my bag to, to get the bladder out to refill it at that unmanned water station. Um, and then who knows how far down the road I went to get food out, realized it wasn't there. So I had about six or so hours of, of no, no calories on the run. Um, and then around a little later when it started to get dark, I had to take my backpack off again to go look for that head, headlamp and, uh, realized that that also must've not made it back in the pack. Um, and you know, it could have been a lot worse. I took it in stride. Um, I was running with a friend at the time and, uh, who I just met, you know, met out on the trail and she, uh, she shared her light with me and, and we got through it. Um, so it was, uh, you know, certainly a bummer. It made things really hard. Um, but I was able to rebound and and get those calories back in later that night. Um, so it, you know, it cost me a little, but it could have been a lot, lot worse. And it was scary to think about that. Now, overall, um, I feel like you had a pretty great race. And where'd you end up finishing? I was ninth overall. So you're ninth overall, and then I, yeah. uh, I don't know. Which, maybe for the record, is is you would typically describe that as being at the pointy end of the race. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but and I'm going to come back to that. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you know this, but do you know how many people who set out to complete the triple crown this year actually completed it? I don't. I think I know about 35 signed up. I think 18 or so started made it to Moab. So my guess would be that 15 or so will finish. Okay. Yeah, and I, that, I was looking are, at the. Uh, yeah finisher or just for moab i there was a ton of uh dnfs um yeah. and then tracking you yesterday I, I started getting a little worried i think you maybe had about 10 to 20 miles left um and i saw david goggin was coming up on your tail and then <laughs> all of a sudden um it looks like he wasn't able to finish do you know what happened there or um was there a battle going on i do um i mean in my head there was in reality there wasn't um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Goggins, um, we actually, uh, got into the pole Canyon mile one forty eight station together. Um, and he was not looking too great. So I, I got into my head that I wanted to beat Goggins because, you know, that's cool. Um, so that next stretch, um, I was moving a lot better than him and was putting some serious distance on him. Um, and then I later learned that he had to drop cause he had some breathing issues and had to get checked medically. Um, so he ended up dropping, I think around just shy of mile 200, maybe. 
Um, but at that point, I I think I had put a, a, quite a few hours on them, and uh, uh, I had stopped paying attention to it. So I'm not not 100% sure um, of the details. But I did hear that I think he's going back out to finish on his own. It won't be an official finish because it's you know he okay. he le- he left the race course, but he wants to still cover the distance and and see the rest of the course. So that's pretty cool. Right. Absolutely. Now, I mean, you're about 24 hours removed at this point. Um, I'm just curious if you've even thought about it or if it's still too new or too, uh, too recent, do you have any plans for, uh, 200s next year? Or do you think the reason I bring this up is you posted on Facebook right before starting Moab that you were tired (laughs) of running 200s. So do you think that will pass by, uh, spring next year? Or do you think that next year you might take a year off from that? And I, I, it might pass. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to say never say never. Cause I, you know, I don't like making those, those bold, I'm never doing this again gestures. Um, right now the plan is to not run a 200 in 2020. It wouldn't surprise me if it did happen. Um, these are certainly going to be a part of my, 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 you know, sport moving forward. I really like the distance. Um, I think I could do with a year off though. Um, in one way or another, I would like to be involved with them next year. If I don't run one, I will like, I would like to volunteer at one or at least get out there and see one. So, um, for, you know, for the time being, I, I think they're here to stay and, uh, I want to be a part of them because they're really, really cool events. Yeah. It, I have to say I was, I was blown away, um, by everything I saw. And as I told you before we started recording, I'm super impressed. Um, I think a top 10 finish is just amazing and seeing what you had to overcome uh to get there and the fact that you did three of those over the course of less than three months um, or just over three months is absolutely amazing so congratulations and um i hope you get some well-deserved rest over the coming weeks thanks dave yeah i need it all right well thanks a lot for uh, joining me and yeah we'll keep an eye out for you next year Yeah, sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye.